Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back. Uh, last Sunday, Melissa and I had the great privilege of getting the stomach flu at 7 p.m. on Saturday night. Um, we're feeling a lot better this week, thankfully, but we were amazed because I got to watch the Dr. Robert Howard walk up here uh, and prepare a sermon with very little notice that was pretty good, pretty amazing. You are all very lucky the tables were not turned. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I'm pretty sure I could not have done that, so, so thank you. Um, this week we're back opening uh, the first chapter of the Gospel of John, and this text that we're looking at today is really special because this is the moment in the Gospel of John where Jesus finally shows up. And this is the moment where John the Baptist, the person we've read about the last couple of weeks, accomplishes his purpose in life. He points out the Messiah to the world. The message in this text for us is pretty simple today. Uh, it is the simple message that you, you and I exist to have Christ at the center of our lives. You and I exist to have Christ at the center of of our lives. Now, there are so many things in this world that are competing for our attention. There are so many other things that we can focus our lives on, so many things that can get our energy, so many other places where we can go and try to pursue wisdom or enlightenment or joy. There are other people we can follow. There are other goals that we can look to to try and give our lives a sense of meaning and fulfillment. But the only hope for any of us comes when we behold the Lamb of God and place him at the center of our lives and make him our identity. So this morning, I want us to look at this text and I want us to see the proclamation that John the Baptist makes. And then I want us to look right after that at the question that Jesus asks and hopefully as we do that, we're also going to hear the Lord giving us an invitation today, personally. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to see John's proclamation, Jesus' question, and our invitation. John's proclamation, Jesus' question, and our invitation. Let's talk about John's proclamation first. Uh, this week, I had an unexpected interaction with an old friend. Uh, he is a person who made a, a great impact in my life, maybe top two or three most influential people I have known. In my early 20s, this was a man who discipled me, who uh, was one of the first people to explain scripture to me so that the doctrines of grace started to come alive. And, and as I was thinking about going into ministry, he uh, he's the one that persuaded me to join a Presbyterian church 17 years ago when I was first starting seminary. And over the years, I'd call him from time to time. He became a pastor of a, a pretty large and, and healthy church. And that church supported our family as we went out and planted new churches in New England over the years. Um, it, this, I don't know how else to say it, but this was just, he was a guy that I really resonated with. A guy who I have respected and, and still do, but we hadn't had a chance to really catch up since the pandemic. And so we finally got to reconnect this week. And as we were talking, he told me the news that he had left the ministry 
and that he no longer considers himself to be an evangelical Christian. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details of, of his story, but I have to say that as I listened to him talk, I, I had a lot of sympathy for him. Actually, we were texting, so as I read what he had to say, I had a lot of sympathy for him because I, I understand how you get there. The church, let's be honest, the church is a nightmare sometimes. There is just so much other stuff that gets wrapped up into our faith that really has nothing to do with Jesus at all, right? Christians can be overly invested in politics to the point where you just can't tell the difference between the message of Jesus and of some political party. We can get so used to thinking that we are good people that when somebody actually sins, we, we don't know what to do, so we just beat them up and we cast them out instead of showing them love and mercy and grace like we get. And of course, we frequently, we see these leaders who get caught up in the pursuit of fame, the lights and laser shows and a big name and book deals and all these things, and the church ends up becoming more about a particular personality than it does about our Lord and Savior. And so I was, as I was texting with my friend, I was, I was shaken by the conversation, not because I couldn't believe it, but because I, I could completely understand. And as my heart was, was breaking for this friend of mine, on my computer screen, the whole time, I was staring at this passage opened up to the first verse that we just read. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Church, this is all we have. This is what our faith is about. John the Baptist, he was an incredible man. In Matthew, Jesus says that there was never anyone greater than John the Baptist. And you can see why from this scene. This, this, this message that he declares, it seems so simple. But it is so easy for us to lose sight of it. It is so easy for us to get distracted by all this other junk. But, but that didn't happen to him. John the Baptist was influential. He was respected. He was even renowned in his time. Outside of the Bible, did you know we can read about John the Baptist? The ancient historian Josephus talks about him. He says that John was known as a good man who commanded the Jews to exercise virtue and righteousness towards one another and piety towards God. John the Baptist had a big following. He, was, he had a powerful presence. He was, in fact, such a presence that, like we saw last week, people came to him asking, are you the Messiah? Well, if not, you must be Elijah, come back from heaven. This was a, a man with, with uh, a great presence about him. But John didn't care about that stuff. He didn't live for the praise of men and women. His entire life had one purpose. And it was to make this one proclamation. Look. Behold him. John's one task 
was to identify Jesus to the world. That's his whole purpose in the story. Everything else we're going to read about him is the epilogue. In the Old Testament, we have all of these prophets, and each one of them, in their own way, their job is to point towards Jesus Christ. But John the Baptist was unique because he didn't just point towards Jesus, he literally pointed at Jesus. He said, there he is. That's him right there. Pay attention. This is God's chosen one. And here in our passage, he does it in the most remarkable way. These words are so profound. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I wish that you guys could just grab a hold of that verse today and just repeat it in your heads and and, and repeat it to yourself throughout the week and try to chew on it and figure out what it means. Let it sink in for yourself. Just the depth of that proclamation. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle John is the one who wrote this story. So not John the Baptist, but the Apostle John. He's the author of the story, and he chose that line intentionally. He picked that to be the introduction for us as Jesus walks into the story. And what exactly is he trying to tell us with those words? Well, the lamb is this image that we find all throughout Scripture. The lamb serves a purpose. It's an animal of sacrifice. We just sang about it, right? Him being the Lamb of God. This idea that he is, it's an offering frequently given to the Lord. Also in prophecy, we see the image of a lamb. In Isaiah 53, we're reminded of the suffering servant who gets called, it says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was like, what? A lamb led to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So we see this picture of the suffering servant in prophecies. And then in the book of Revelation, another book written by the Apostle John, we see another picture of a lamb. A lamb who is this time an apocalyptic, conquering lamb. Man, that's small. I'm going to use my real Bible to read it. All right, he says, and I saw... A mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, see The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain. And it says, they sang a new song, singing. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there is a whole theology wrapped up for us in that sentence. 
that this God-man who's just come up on the scene, he exists to be a sacrifice and a conqueror. And not just for the Jewish people, but for the whole world. For, for every tongue and tribe and nation. And that he is going to conquer. But what's he going to conquer? Sin. And its consequence, death. He comes to take away the sin of the world. He takes away our sin. You know, that's something that we, we hear that so much. Driving around here, you even see things like that printed on billboards on the side of the road, right? Jesus takes away your sin. It is this glorious thing, and yet, it's something we, we easily, uh, we forget what it means. It just becomes this commonplace fact of being a Christian. It becomes a doctrine that, that we kind of accept, but at some point, it loses its power in our lives, we profess it, but practically, we stop living it out. We stop living in the glorious truth that Jesus came to take away our sin. And here's what I mean by that. Well, I mean, look, I am a guilty person. I love Jesus. I love the Lord. I've, I'm a pastor. I've been spending my life seeking to follow him every day, but in that time, I have screwed up a lot. I, I really, I have to admit, like not even in a, in a small way, that as a pastor, there are mistakes that I have made in ministry that have hurt people. There are times when my pride or my ambition has turned people away from Jesus, not towards them. And there's nothing I can do about it. None of my apologies, none of my efforts at reconciliation can change the consequences of my actions and choices. And those things weigh on me. My regrets and my guilt, it weighs on my soul. Do you have anything like that in your own life? Sure you do. We all do. If we'll, if we'll take the time to think about it. So how do we deal with that? What do we do with the tremendous burden of our guilt? How do we deal with it? Well, here's how. It's the only way. John says, turn your eyes off of yourself and look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he does. For anybody who would come, for anybody who can see their guilt, who can feel their guilt, who is burdened by their guilt, anyone can come and, and give it to him. Anyone who can no longer bear it, he will bear it. If you just turn and look. If you behold him. If you focus your life on him. And he really does take it away. That's the amazing thing. He actually takes it away, far away. And not just once, but continually. He keeps on taking it away as far as the east is from the west. He removes your sin. He came 
for that purpose. And I hope I'm not rambling. I hope you don't think I'm just saying the same thing over and over. But I really want you to see this. My heart is, is kind of broken this week. It's tender this week because I don't want you to live under this burden that you can't carry. I don't want you to have all these distractions that get in the church and all this mess that gets muddled up in American Christianity to, to, to harden you. I don't want it to make you cynical. I don't want you to get disillusioned. I don't want that stuff to keep you from seeing the one thing that we are actually about. We are here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's John's proclamation. And it's our proclamation as well. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, let's turn and look at Jesus' question. So the Lamb, he comes on the scene. Each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the four Gospels. Each one of them, they record the words and teachings of Jesus. And they tell the story in kind of slightly different ways. But I love to pay attention in these books to the first words Jesus says. When you look in the different Gospels, the very first words of Jesus tend to tell us something about the whole book, about what the author wants us to see. And I think that's certainly the case here in the Gospel of John. What, do you, what would you imagine the first words of Jesus are in the Gospel of John? Well, here they are. He says, what do you want? What are you seeking is another translation of that. What do you desire? Now, in the context of the story, it's, it's first of all just a practical question. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? So two people following you down the road, very practical question to turn and say, what do you want? But John wrote that question as Jesus' first words very intentionally. He wrote it for a reason. He wrote it for any person just like those two disciples who might be curious about who Jesus is, interested to know what he's all about. He wrote it for all of us readers. And so in a sense, Jesus, he's asking us the very same question. He says, what do you want? What are you seeking? So that's a good question for you to think about. What are you seeking? What are you seeking from a Savior? What are you seeking from the Lamb of God? The lesson that you're going to learn about Jesus, if you read the Bible, the lesson you find out over and over again is that Jesus is a completely startling personality. And these two guys are the first to find that out. 
Here is this guy, the great John the Baptist, the speaker with all this this huge following, and and he points the guy out. He says, that guy is the chosen one of God. And so he said, this is the guy that, he's the Messiah. He's the guy who's been prophesied for generations, the one we've all been waiting for. And so they're like, well, I'll follow that guy. (laughs) And they go and follow him, and they find out, well, this guy doesn't live in luxury This guy doesn't live in the capital city like a king should. He's from Nazareth. He's from the middle of nowhere. He wasn't wealthy. He wasn't powerful. He didn't meet the expectations of the world. So what are you seeking? Following Jesus, it doesn't mean what you might think it means. If you come to Jesus with the expectation that following him is going to improve your life, well, you're right, actually. Following Jesus is going to improve your life. But the way he's going to improve your life is something you will never understand until you actually follow him. It's definitely not the way the world will tell you to improve your life. If you think Jesus led you to It called you to a life of conquest, to a life of success, a life of prosperity, a life of onward and upward and success and all these things. You're going to be surprised. He didn't come for that. So what are you seeking? If you look up to Jesus, if you look to Jesus because you think your life's going pretty good, I'm a a decently uh, balanced person, but you know... I could use a little bit more spirituality in my life. Well, watch out, because that's not what Jesus came for. The path of following the Lamb of God is not for the faint of heart. It is a road that requires that you die to yourself and your desires. That you surrender your life to him utterly, without reservation. That you carry a cross. That you suffer rejection. That, that at times, the world will hate you for it. The way of King Jesus is not a path of conquest, but it's a path of service. The glory of our faith is that the the king, the lion of Judah, is also the lamb that was slain. And that means the path of his disciples, it isn't onward and upward, but it is down, down, down to death. But that's the only path to freedom. That is the only path. To overcome sin and death. That is the only path that's actually going to free you from the bondage to this world that you feel. It's the only path where your soul will know its maker and be alive with him forever. Following Jesus is the only path that's ever going to satisfy the deepest longings of your hearts. But it's not pretty sometimes. And it's painful sometimes. So what do you want? That's the question. What are you really seeking? 
And that question then leads us to an invitation. And the invitation is pretty simple. Come and see. The first person who says come and see is Jesus. He says it to his disciples. They say, where are you saying? And he says, come and you will see. And they do. They follow him and immediately... Andrew, one of those first two guys, he runs and he tells his brother Peter, he says, we've found the Messiah. Then the same thing happens to Philip. Jesus encounters Philip and Philip goes and tells Nathanael, he says, we have found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And Nathanael, he says, well, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That dingy, dirty old place. What, what kind of savior comes from Nazareth? And then Philip says it. He says, come and see. And as we follow these men, and we, as we read these, this story over the next few weeks and months, at each moment we realize these people, they meet Jesus and they're amazed. And, and one by one, these people, they encounter Jesus, and, and they're astonished, and then they pass along this message and this invitation, and they're all saying, come and see. And for thousands of years now, that same thing continues to happen over and over again. This same invitation gets passed down over and over again. This invitation, come and see. It's an invitation for you. Just like that proclamation to behold the lamb is for you. And that question, what do you want, is a question for you. Well, the invitation, come and see. That's an invitation for you today. Actually, I, I think this invitation is what sets Christianity apart from the other religions of the world. It's what sets us apart from other philosophies. Our invitation is not simply come and, and read. Come and study our point of view. Come and listen to my pastor's sermons. Come consider our wise saying and our interesting worldview. No, it's, what's the invitation? Say it with me. Come and, come and see. You know what that means? That means that we are not a religion of a dead and distant God. We are the faith of a living Savior. A, a Savior who still is inviting us today by the power of His Spirit to come and encounter Him, to speak with Him, to walk with Him, to meet with Him, and to be changed by Him forever. Someone was just telling me recently about their story of, of coming to faith. And they said that they had been reading through the Bible and, and they'd found it very beautiful and, and profound, but they just couldn't believe that God really existed. And so they had a wise pastor who said, well, well, why don't you just ask him? Put him to the test. Tell him, I don't believe in you, but I'd like to. Prove me wrong. And guess what? He was happy to do that. Come and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This, this, this is the invitation for us today. 
It's an invitation to come and, and lay down that disillusionment. To lay down that cynicism. To lay down your fears and just to come to a living God. Look, I get it. Life is hard. Life is incredibly hard sometimes. And maybe some of you are feeling like my friend that I told you about who, who is wrestling with doubt and, and despair. Maybe you are on the brink today. Maybe you're not sure if Jesus is really able to meet your need. Well, I want to encourage you. Give him a shot. Give him a chance. Come before him. And lay your needs at his feet. Tell him your sin. Tell him your guilt. And let him nail it to the cross. Let him take it away. You don't think he can handle all the mess that you have to bring? All the doubts that you're carrying? Well, well come and see. Or maybe you're just in a place of dryness. Maybe you're at that place where you, you feel like your faith, for whatever reason, it's lost the vitality that it used to have. You, you've gotten distracted in this sea of, of empty religion. You've forgotten this Jesus that we just read about, this Jesus who is wild and, and unexpected and, and powerful. You know the words are true, but they just aren't alive in your soul. Well, if that's you, I want to give you the same invitation. Wake up and come and see. Come and, and see him again. Like it's the first time this morning, wherever you might be, whether you're coming from a place of, of great weakness or a place of great strength, I want you to turn your eyes back to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, how do we do that? Well, right down here is one of the ways that we get to do that. This meal is a special opportunity for us this morning. At this table in front of me is a, a visual representation of everything that I've just been telling you. This is a reminder of what's been done for us on the cross that Jesus is the lamb that was slain. This is his, his body that's given for you, his blood that is shed for you so that you could live. Your guilt taken upon him on the cross, his righteousness given back to you so that you can live. And you know what's amazing is that this table actually makes an invitation. It takes that invitation of come and see and it moves it one step further. This table isn't simply come and see, right? It is taste and see. It's an invitation from our Heavenly Father. He says, join me at my table and feast with me. Join me in this celebration of the redemption that I have purchased for you. This is a moment where we get to have our souls nourished and fed. This is not just a celebration. It's not just a remembrance. But this is a moment when we believe that the same way our bodies are going to be nourished by bread and wine, our souls 
will be nourished with the actual grace of God. And all it requires for us to receive this meal is faith. Not perfection. Not performance. Not an extra dose of holiness, but all it requires is faith. Do you believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away your sins?